Welcome to Our Kids, Our Schools, your compass in the world of local education hosted by Alexis Morgan, an experienced guide and advocate. This space offers insights designed to serve parents, teachers, administrators, school board members, and community stakeholders. Every episode is designed to equip you with the knowledge and tools to be an active participant. This podcast isn't just a dialogue. It's a movement, a movement that encourages collaboration to foster a thriving school community because together we can, we will make a difference. Hey, Debbie, it's so great to have you here on my podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks for the invitation. It was great to see you yesterday at the Capitol for the Idaho PTA Advocacy Day. And I loved having you come and join us for lunch, and the teenagers loved it, and it was, it was awesome. Fun. You organized a very nice event. It was well attended. I, I looked around and saw a lot of legislators there, and it was fun to talk to the kids and their instructor. She was so proud of what they had done, and the food was tasty, and just all in all, it was a great day. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm we're really happy with it. Yeah, it was awesome. Okay, so I have you here because you are the superintendent of public instruction for the state of Idaho. Ta-da, (laughs) ta-da. And that, I'm just going to say, is like a mouthful. I know. It's a big, long title. I didn't create it, by the way. No, no, no. Yeah. And you have been serving in that role for a little over a year now. Yeah. Okay. A year and like three weeks or something like that. Yeah. So let's talk about what, let's talk about what got you there first. I think that would be great. Like, so what did you do for 15 years prior to that role that you really feel like prepared you for that position? I got on this real dedicated education path when my children were small. I liked to substitute teach. And um, I did that in my, my local town at the junior high and high school. And I became very familiar with just different policies of the school district and, of course, being in a classroom and talking to various teachers that I got very interested in just sort of like the, the, the policy side of our board made a decision. And they were good people and people that I knew and neighbors and, you know, how those policies impacted what was going on in the classroom. So um, a longtime uh, board member that had served in our community was going off of the board. And I had a few people approach me about running for that position, which I did. And I served as a local school board member in the Kaja County School District, which is a consolidated district uh, for 10 years. And then um, I had some health issues, stepped away from the board to, to get healthy. I went through some cancer things. And um, then I had another opportunity to kind of put that experience um, and passion to work in a different way. And was later, a couple years later, got appointed to the State Board of Education, first by Governor Otter, and then later reappointed by Governor Little. I served on that board for seven years. And during that time, I really got focused in on K-12 at the, the state level and thought, I I have a lot of thoughts and more opinions than than what I maybe thought that I did when I first started that on on how things would uh, laws how they worked and and money and policy and all of those things and and I thought maybe I need a different position at this table and so we went through COVID and a, a, just a lot of changes over the last couple of years and talked with my husband about running for this position and I thought I need to either put myself out there to have the job or I need to quit complaining. 
because those two things weren't compatible. And uh, yeah, worked really hard to, to get the position. And I've just been so grateful. It's It's been so fun to kind of watch that process a little bit because when I served on the school board in my local community, you were on the Board of Education for Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. And then you were the board president and I watched a little bit. I was just kind of at the very beginning of navigating some of those COVID components and- Fun times, weren't they? Oh my gosh, yeah. (laughs) No, no. We've lived to talk about it. Yes, we have. No PTSD or anything. Yeah. And so it, and then when I heard that you were running for superintendent, I was really excited. Oh, that's so nice. And I, a part of it, I think just in this idea of Idaho is that I think we really have an opportunity to be, to be connected to people on our local and state level. And that was something that I really felt having been involved in my local community. I saw someone doing things on the state level. And then when you were running for the position, you did, I, we call them in Lewiston, we call them like cottage visits. Yes. Yes. And where you would go around to different locations and meet people in their homes. And I had you in my house. Yes. And I appreciated that. Yeah. And yeah, it was a great experience. And I did that everywhere. And what a valuable lesson for me to to be in someone's home or in their business or, you know, wherever we gathered as, as small groups and, and hear personal stories. And one of my biggest takeaways was people may differ on a process or a way to accomplish something, but people believe in education. And Idaho is cozy. That's the word that I like to use. I like, we have a cozy state where we're not that many degrees separated, um, just even as friends and neighbors, but also at that state level where you want your your officials to be accessible and feel like, hey, that they're a person too. And I can call them up or text them a, a note or, or share an experience. And, and it's just, it's it's so valuable and beneficial to me. I agree. I like that. I like that word cozy. Yeah. I'm going to borrow it. Do it. Do <laughs> yeah. it. Okay. So you're the superintendent now. And what I find is that a lot of people don't actually know what that means. Yeah. So I'd love to talk about what you do as the superintendent of public instruction for Idaho. Okay. So it's a constitutional role. Uh, job. So there are seven positions that are statewide in our constitution, governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, to, to kind of give you a flavor. And this, the superintendent of public instruction is one of those seven. And and what's unique and special about it being outlined that way is there are very specific roles attached to that. And so I sit as a voting member of the state board of education. I sit as a board member to the Idaho State Lands Board. I'm also the chair of the School for Deaf and Blind. I'm also the administrator for the Department of Education. And then other associated roles, um, as an example, I will go and present a budget to the legislature for public schools and and be an advocate and and work on policies and, and those types of things. And so the real work of educating a child takes place in the classroom and takes place in a local district. But there is a role and a place for the superintendent to bring resources and information and important elements of making decisions to the local board. That was a really, that was a lot of, that was a lot. (laughs) That was a lot. And actually, uh, you listed one that I didn't even realize. I didn't realize that you were a board member or 
on the School of Deaf and Blind Kids. Yes, yeah. I did not realize that. Yeah. And so what um, is, how do you balance, you know, or find harmony? That's how I like to say it because I, for whatever reason, this balance thing for me is like, it's like my one of my least favorite. I like to, I like to use the phrase, the the idea of harmony because harmony is something where we bring in all sorts of like in a music at different times different like things that. are going to yeah. be louder or softer so how do you find that harmony in all of those roles because some of those are political and some of those are like organizational leader components right um that's an ongoing process of of trying to to your point to get all of those things to to blend well, and there are times where some of those roles need more attention than others. One of the things that that helps me in all of this is to have a good team. And I am grateful that part of the the job allows me to bring people along with me. And so I was able to to go go and approach people that I had worked with that I had that I trusted that had experience and knowledge and and get along with and say hey want to come join this team and and let's go do this journey together. So having people that I trust is so critical to any success that I have. And so we can you know I can delegate all of those. Well, I don't delegate all of it, but there are certain parts of that that we delegate out and then we're always meeting as a team and and so that that's really important and then I think having had experience at a local level and then adding to that other state experience really offered me learning opportunities along the way I think if I had just decided out of the blue I think I'll run for state superintendent I'd be absolutely drowning I mean the job is big enough anyway but really having had experience and understanding of what we're trying to do, you know, that helps as well. But it's a constant ebb and flow of, of how to make things work. How do you manage a Department of Education while you're working with the legislature, while you're on the state land board, while you're, while you're, while you're. And, you know, I'm not perfect at, at all of them, but I'm certainly seeking to get better. So how do you do it, though? <laughs> like, I'm, I mean, I'm genuine. I mean, I'm so like right now, this is your legislative session. Mm -hmm. So are you mostly focusing on that or right? Like, how do you yeah. how do you do it? So um, just as an example, uh, we feel like the legislative session is sort of our Super Bowl time of the year. That three months of um, legislative work and the laws that come out of that, the money that's attached to the budget, that directs all the rest of the year and and what we're doing so we want to be available we want to make sure that that's our primary focus and so i limit my out out of state travel and not that i'm big on out of state travel and i'm not talking vacations i'm talking you know about national conferences and other things that we do and get invited to um, so we limit that during this time because i want to make sure that you know i'm very present and we'll limit school visits um, i still traveling the state like I did as a, a candidate to a degree like that. But we'll really focus on that time and, and make that a priority. And then in the summer when school is out of session and they need less help or guidance or, you know, whatever that looks support, then we might have more of our travel time or focus more on, you know, policy work. And so we've kind of this last year, I'm acting like I've, you know, got the experience of 40 years under my belt. But last year kind of gave us that opportunity to say, let's sort of chunk out what we prioritize in these seasons of sorts. And and, and that in itself has been really helpful. Mm -hmm. 
And so what, so then you have your legislative session. What do you do after that in terms of, because I know you travel around the state a little bit. So will you talk about that, what that looks like? Sure. So as soon as the legislative session is over, in fact, we're in the works of putting this together, but we do something that's called the post-legislative tour, where we go to every single region and then explain what just happened. And so we meet with our superintendents and school board members and, and business managers of our districts and then say, this is what the legislature did. This is what it means to education. This is what your funding is going to look like. Here's a new law. Here's something that got changed. That's really critical because not everyone is tracking it like we do in real time and and maybe know all the, the nuances of everything. And then we're able to face-to-face -face meet with people, have the the, the questions answered and, and that type of thing. And then in the mix of all of that, we're also wanting to go out and be present in schools. And that's been one of the, the best parts of this job. And I'll just quickly share an example. In October, um, I did a three, I don't know if it's three or four day excursion where we left from Boise. It was my assistant and I, and um, she did all the driving. So I, you know, thank her for that. And, and we planned this trip and we left from Boise and we drove by Horseshoe Bend and, and hung a right to go um, into Garden Valley. Um, and we stopped at the school there. And then we then went on to Loman, and there's a one-room schoolhouse there, three children. They're all girls, and they all happen to be in the third, I want to say it now, I'm doubting myself, it was second or third grade. Um, two of the students were absent that day. <laughs> and so there's the teacher who's living in a very nice RV that's parked right behind the sort of playground area of this one-room school. And she's charged with uh, the learning of these three students. And we talked about what that looks like and how one of the students takes a snowmobile to get to a road, to get to the school. What a great experience for me to understand that when we're talking about policies and, and what we're trying to do statewide with education, we're impacting not only the kid in Boise or West Ada, but these three little girls that live on the side of a mountain that come to school every day. And so anyway, from there, we were able to, we went to Chalice and Salmon and Ledor. And, you know, I got to Chalice and, and learned that the way that the the playground is situated, kind of this dip in the grass, they have the fire department, fire department comes as soon as it's hard enough, you know, cold enough to have a hard freeze. And the fire department fills this kind of depression in the grass with water and they have ice skates available for the kids. So I think they're the only school in the state that has an ice skating rink during the winter on their playground. That Isn't is, that great about that Idaho? Is, it is so I just great. love it. It is so great. And I I love that you point out the story about these girls in Loman. I I mean for for those who have social media, go look on Instagram because I saw that photo of you standing outside that red like, schoolhouse. Ah, here we are. It was I know. so it, fun. It was it was way way cool. And so that makes me what percentage of our schools around the state are rural? 70% are classified as rural. And then on the other side of that, 60% of all of our student population lives in Boise and West Data. So we have these kind of two side or ends of the, of the spectrum that most of our schools are, the number of schools are classified as rural, 
but most of our students live in our two biggest urban areas or our one biggest urban area in those two districts. So 70% of our school districts are rural in the state of Idaho. Mm -hmm. And 60% of our student, 60% of the student population lives within West Ada and the Boise Boise. School District. Whoa. So think about that in the whole scheme of how we make decisions. How do we fund schools? How do we support a uniform way of providing equal learning opportunities? It, It looks differently, and it should, because of, of the makeup of our state. And then you think we have got the geographic distance. So we've got school districts, um, West or not West Bonner, but Bonner's Ferry, that is m- just minutes from the Canadian border at the very north part of our state. And then you get close to like the, the Weezer area, and they're a, a border district next to Oregon. And then you go all the way to the south and east, and you get West Side School District that is just right on the border of Utah. And then over kind of in the Cajun County area, you butt right up against Nevada. And so those create unique characteristics for those districts in addition to just the unique factors of, of living in our state. So do you find that that's why that's, it's this balance so often between state state mandates for some components and then other things we say we really need to let our local school districts decide because there's so much variance across what they're experiencing in the state? just what you said that that's really why we why I want to protect and emphasize how important it is that local control really stays where it is I don't know what it's I mean I went to Loman but I don't know what it's like to live in that community nor do I know what you know what the feel of of some of our our smaller communities are I can go and visit but that's the beauty of the system that we have, that you're electing people that understand the needs of your own community. They know what it's like in your own backyard. They're going to make the decisions for your local school. It's a wonderful way to do it. Now, it creates challenges and it doesn't make things easy, but I think it's the best way to really honor what communities expect out of their schools. Mm-hmm. And I did just hear during Advocacy Day, and oh, I probably shouldn't even say this because I'm not going to get it right, but something because I don't, you can't, it's like I can't keep all the stats in the head at the time, I get right? It, yeah. But something about how our local school districts, that, um, those districts within our community are taking at least, they're, they're utilizing at least like half of our taxpayer dollars because of what they do and who they're serving and who they employ in some of these different areas. It was, it was a big percentage. Just this, this idea that like it's really important for people to be paying attention to what's happening in their local communities because the schools really are at the center of our communities. And that statistic isn't right. I'm acknowledging it's not 50%. But I get your point. Yeah. yeah. But that it's just so important to be paying attention to these components because the people who are leading them are making decisions that impact the entire community. I have believed this and still believe it, and I I tout this all the time. The most important elections that impact all of us day to day are the local elections. Who's on your city council? Who's on your local school board? Who's your county commissioner? I care who is president of our United States. I care who is governor of our our state. But when we're talking about day-to-day rules, regulations, et cetera, that really impact us, those local elections are so critical. I agree. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. 
100% Debbie. So you had said something and I wanted to just um, give a definition to it because I don't think this is something that people know very much about. So when we're talking about school districts, there's like the West Ada School District and they've got, you know, lots of high schools and I think there's like 57 schools or something within West Ada. There's, Wild. It's, yeah. it's a lot, right? And then, I mean, I came from Lewiston and so there was the Lewiston School District. But then we have some of these joint school mm -hmm. districts. And so you came from the Casia County Joint, but then you used another phrase. I used consolidated. Consolidated. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean? So for Casia and other consolidated districts, rather than, um, so the, in, it's a countywide. And so um, you'll take five distinct communities in Casia, and each one of those are not their own school district. It's it's one district, one central office. So you can think of it similar to West Ada, but just on a smaller scale. Now, the reason I point that out is over in the Magic Valley area, region four, as far as the school region is considered, you don't see that very often. So if, if I'm leaving Casia County, I'm going to drive by a lot of little school districts on my way to Twin Falls. I'm going to drive by Murtaugh and Hanson and Kimberly, Filer, all of those are their own school district. And this is one of those tricky areas where we talk about efficiencies within schools. And so, you know, many people will say, well, why are those, dis why are those little towns their own school district? How do we, you know, consolidate and put those together? There's definitely efficiencies that are gained. But then at the other side, I understand in a, in a rural community that the school is really the heart of your town. And so for some, they feel like they're giving up that identity if they start to combine. And and it can be, you know, in some towns, those are really fighting words when you talk about combining schools into one school district. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, because I was driving past or I looked it up and I thought, I think I thought saw that there were five high schools within Kaja. Is that what it? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, four traditional high schools and one alternative school. Yeah. And that really surprised me. I mean, oh, I didn't realize that. And to your point, yeah, there's that big one and then they're just, yeah, it was interesting. And I think Kaja has done a great job modeling how you can have very distinct communities combined into one school district where it gets dicey at times is when you go to pass a school bond many times those bonds are bigger than they might be if um you know you were one high school was its own school district because you really have to satisfy the needs of of many communities all at once which frankly is no different than what west ada or boise has to do when you've got 57 schools that just anyway that just blows my mind that's a lot of schools in a district it is. I feel that way. Yeah. 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 I feel that way. Okay. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was last year you passed, uh, you helped pass the Parents' Bill of Rights. And so I want to just, I wanted, I wondered if you would explain like what that does and how that helps parents in the education process. Thanks. You know, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about how we empower parents. I know that word kind of gets, a a, well, first of all, it's taken on a, a negative connotation, which is unfortunate. And then I think it gets used in a, overused in kind of a cliche way. Truly how we empower parents is connect is connecting them with information and facilitating conversations that they feel like they have access to the resources and what they need to make their best decision. And schools are a part of that communication process. And so what I did was I, I worked with others as well, but I took a lot of years of experience in talking with parents who felt frustrated 
by a system or shut out of a system, or they were only engaged when somebody wanted their money. It's like, well, I want your money. I want you to contribute to the fundraiser. Well, I also have ideas on this, that, or the other. No, thank you. We don't want your opinions. We just want your check. I felt like that too. And so I, I took experience that I had had as a parent of four children who went to public schools and then um, put things together to say, schools, what, what are your responsibilities? Most of our schools were very good at these things. But for schools that, that weren't, I felt like putting that in, into law ensured that regardless of where you lived in our state, there were basic things that parents were entitled to. Now, I don't think that the state of Idaho gives parents rights. This was about taking practices and saying, here are expectations of communication. If you're going to take our kid on a field trip, of course, a parent gets asked permission. Hey, we want you to fill out this permission slip that we're going to take your kindergarten to the pumpkin patch. Well, what I found was for other really important topics as our kids got older, schools didn't ask parents. Well, if we want to give your child a survey, ask me. Maybe I'll say yes, maybe I'll say no. I'll probably say yes, but let me be the decider of what my child participates in and, and what they don't. And other expectations of letting me know what curriculum is available for me to to investigate and, and, and peruse. It was that type of thinking that got me to this place of just reminding parents, you are in, in a position to have these this information and to expect things from your district. Mm -hmm. And I think that there was this, you know, after this COVID experience where kids were in the home more with learning, and then all of a sudden, I mean, I've heard this from a lot of parents, they just kind of felt like it was this wake up call. And it was a what is happening yeah. in the schools. And not that anything bad is happening in our schools, but maybe myself as a parent, I need to make sure I, I should be checking in. Those are good things for me to be checking into. And so I kind of even took this Parents' Bill of Rights as a, not that it wasn't that you were putting it out this way, but for me personally, I was like, these are good things for me to make sure that I'm on top of. Like these just good reminders for me. And is this happening for me in my district? And I feel like I've been really fortunate to live in locations where the schools were already doing these things. And, you know, like you mentioned, and so, but just like putting it in writing for parents to know that these are the opportunity, these, these are your rights to be able to access these things. I thought was really important. You know, it surprised me in some ways, and, and I get it to an extent that some parents felt very shy or insecure and just lacked the confidence to go and ask some of the questions. I was like, no, you need to, you get to, this is your child. And so I appreciate that you, you saw another side of it. There were some that were like, you're just making this all about the parents and nothing about the teachers. No, no. There's responsibilities that go along with being a parent. And and I really view the educational process or environment with as a three-legged stool. And I, if I've said this to you before, I'm sorry that I'm repeating it, but I'm going to say it again because I think it's important. You have the teacher who's the expert in the classroom. I am not, that's what their license is for. They're a trained professional and should be to teach and, you know, help my child be able to learn. I expect that from them. They're the expert in the classroom. As a parent, I'm the expert on my child. I know my kid. <laughs> I should know my kid. And then the third part of that is the child themselves. They have a responsibility to participate in the learning. It's not something that just happens. So when I take the expert in the classroom 
and combine that with the expert on the child, that's the perfect recipe to now create things that help my child, who's also a part of this, to be the most successful. And when we start seeing it as a tug of war of who knows more, whose rights are what, who's in charge, no, you have a role and I have a role. Let's combine those expertises And now we've created something that makes my child be the most successful. Yes. I actually just had an experience of that recently where something was going on for my high schooler and I was noticing that he, you know, because all kids are different and he didn't have the confidence to go and talk to his teacher. And I was getting messages from the teacher through him that not they weren't to me, but they were to him. And I was like, there's clearly something that's happening here. So I emailed the teacher. I said, hey, I'd like to meet in person. And these are the things that I'd like to address. And the teacher I could tell didn't, she just wanted to address them right there in that email. And so I thanked her for her response and said, thank you so much for this. I would like to meet in person. Good for you. You know, and so then we went and I said, and I want my son there. I want him in this meeting too. And she's like, great. And it's, and I found out later per policy that the a vice principal comes and attends the meeting. And I think that's great for the teacher to have support. Like it didn't bother sure. me. I was like, great, we're friends. That's a right, not, right. That's yeah. not issue. So the the thing that was so great about this meeting and to your point of the three-legged stool is that the teacher was there, the, the parent was there, and the student was there. And so we were able to have this conversation. And when it was over, um, I saw my student, when the meeting was over, get up and say, hey, Mrs. So-and-so, can I come and meet, come meet you during this prep time to work on this thing and she was so responsive like she's like yes absolutely I'd love that and it was this opportunity for the three of us to come together to get on the same page and be supportive because as you mentioned we're all part of this of this equation absolutely and you build confidence and trust that relationship between the parent and the teacher I don't uh, diminish the fact that many of our teachers feel under attack now and I think they they come at parent engagement or interactions from kind of a scared negative place when in fact most parents are there looking to the teacher help me help me know how to help my child because again you're the expert on in the classroom and then when you layer in you know my child wants to x y or z they're feeling a little unsure about talking to you that's that you're an expert on your child piece and then we're able to actually solve some problems yes it's a win-win and, and that's how I, I like to approach these things. And I can think of so many times that I, I went to teachers of, of my children and shared that side of what you were sharing and saying, now you bring what you know to the table and now we're going to get somewhere. Yes. It was interesting because in this specific scenario, the teacher had said very like from a very genuine place, I wish that he would have come to me. Right. And my response was me too, but that's not this kid. Like my other kid would have done that, but not this kid. And most kids aren't. I mean, let's let's just face that (laughs) fact that most kids are not going to go approach their teacher with a problem. Well, because the teachers, the the authority figure in there, they're worried they're going to get in trouble. They're worried that maybe the teacher will go tell someone else. There, there's so many, I mean, their their frontal lobes are not developed. They're kids. Most of the time, kids don't come to their parents who they love and trust and put a, a, you know, a roof over their head. And so I, I think it's, if we can break down some of these, the barriers of it's not confrontational or adversarial, we're here to help our child. 
how do how do we do that in the most productive and and peaceful ways agreed and this lines up with some of your of of your top of your four priorities mm. this year. So would you, because I actually got to hear you address some of your priorities at a dinner for the Idaho Education Association, um, right? Idaho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, nice job. You I'm like, it. did I do that one right? So many acronyms yeah, in there, education. There are yeah. so many. Um, so this this links in with your priorities. So would you share what your, what your four priorities are for sure. this year? Because I think they're awesome. Uh, first is to ensure that all students are, are reading um, by third grade and that we're on grade level in math. Back to basics, I'm going to keep saying that over and over and over. We do a lot of great things, but we've got to prioritize where our money and our attention goes, and we've got to get our kids reading and, and doing our, our basic math at, uh, at grade level. Um, second, we are very interested in preparing our students for life beyond high school. The, the reading and the math are those building blocks to get there, but we also want students who leave our system to feel like they can do something. Let's make that diploma count for something. We want them to be prepared for life. I think that that is very important. I'm also this year pursuing with our legislative um, friends um, work on modernizing how we fund our schools. Go figure the hallways of our classrooms and schools are very different than when our adults uh, went to school. And we want to have alignment between what we want our schools to be able to do and how that money gets to them. I think we've had a mismatch. And so our schools are frustrated and say, well, we don't feel like we have enough money. Okay, well, maybe it's not so much that you don't have enough, but it's not going to the places where you need it. And so we've got a real focus on modernizing that. And then our fourth goal is on recruiting and retaining quality educators. There's such a quality aspect to being in the classroom. And I know that our teachers really feel as though that's been diminished. And we don't want that. We want to make sure that they feel supported. And it's not just on the money side, but there's so many non-financial ways we can restore that value of being in education. Well, and one of the things that I heard you say during your conversation with the IEA, and it was something I actually heard uh, during the Idaho PTA Day as, at the Capitol as well, was that it's like the, this professionalization component for teachers. And it's actually something that I hear in my PhD program that one of the professors has really been integrating into the classroom because he's like, listen, this is something that this program doesn't address is professionalization when you leave. They're giving you all of the things to be the expert in in the content, right. but we need to make sure that you're professionalized to be able to do the thing afterwards. And so that was something that you would address with teachers as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. So as I've uh, sat down with the deans of our colleges of education at our four public institutions, uh, that, that has been the conversation. It is very different in my mind to, I, I can know everything there is to know about geography. And I love geography and I want to be a geography teacher. But then you put me in front of 28 seventh graders. I hope that I have the skills to be able to communicate that knowledge. Classroom management. How do I talk to parents? How do I create a lesson plan? Those are very important components to me being an effective instructor, an effective educator. And it looks differently than just being in the front and lecturing the whole time. Our, our, our kids, they don't want that. And frankly, parents don't want that. They want someone that's more interactive. How do we create critical thinking? You know, all of the things that I think we expect in our classroom today, and frankly, that our, our students really deserve. And so we're talking with our deans to understand where those gaps are so that we don't throw someone into 
a classroom, the data shows that 30% of teachers that come into the profession leave the profession within the first three years. Will you say that again? 30% of all new teachers who get into the classroom leave within the first three years. That type of turnover is not going to help us with student outcomes. If we are turning over 30% of our employees every three years, no wonder we're not getting to some of the achievement. Now, I have found that teaching is also one of the most fluid professions. People will get in and out, have a baby, want to raise a family, or you know, life circumstances. We're going out of state now. That aside, that we're that's that doesn't account for 30%. We have people who get into the classroom who are overwhelmed, don't feel supported, don't have a mentor while they're there, don't understand systems, uh, don't understand how to take attendance, uh, get overwhelmed with just, they're like, well, I loved, you know, I, I just wanted to make a difference in the lives of kids and I happen to love this subject. Those things aren't connecting well. I'm a, the other thing that I've just, I'm on a bandwagon and I've been waving this flag forever and ever. I think it is too late to put teachers into a classroom for the student teaching the last semester of their last year. I don't think that that is very useful to them and not beneficial uh, to, to students. There's no time to then go back to your professor and say, hey, remember when you told me X, Y, and Z? Well, when I got in front of a bunch of 16-year-olds, that didn't work. Give me practical tools that I can use when I'm in front of the classroom. Or I didn't know what to do when half the first graders started crying because they lost their scissors or their glue got on their, you know, whatever those things were. We teachers need that reflective time to go back and kind of troubleshoot. And when you wait till the very last culminating thing is now we were going to put you in a classroom. I can't even imagine the pressure of what that must feel like. Yeah. So it's interesting because I am a teacher. That's where I started in history and geography teaching, actually. Oh, look at that. Pulled that right out. Yeah, right. (laughs) Secondary education. And I mean, my program was like 20 years ago. So I know that it's it's, uh, developed differently today. I sure hope so. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) But I remember I got an opportunity to be in the classroom before my student teaching. I got an opportunity to be in every, they stuck, they said, you have to be in an elementary school, a middle school, a high school. Where was your program, if you don't mind me asking? It was in Utah. Okay. Yeah. I was like, there's, I haven't heard of any in-state, public, I know they do it at at some of our private institutions, but keep going. Yeah. And also an alternative school. So we were in four, they wanted us in four different places so that we could kind of have these experiences. Every kid at different stages. And it became super obvious to me what my favorite was. I mean, because I was secondary education. So, so I what could, was it, if you don't mind me asking? Um, it was a mix. It was a split between high school and alternative. And the alternative, actually, I got. I went to a juvenile detention center, and it was what a re- great experience. It was really great. And what was neat about it was that after we would go to these sessions, they were week long sessions. There, then we would come back to the classroom and kind of talk about what that so experience you get like. what I'm I do saying. that's yeah. exactly I <laughs> totally agree and then I also in my teaching um during my student teaching it was a 
It was a four-month experience. And at the time, there were too many student teachers for availabilities. And so I had a co-teacher. That doesn't exist now. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, had a co I had a co-teacher with me. And so that was super cool to be able. And she happened. It was just it just actually happened that she was one of she was a roommate one year. So we were actually really good friends. And we got to co-teach 10th and 11th grade high school uh, history together. And it was awesome. And the thing that I liked about that was that I had someone, not I had the teacher, but then I also had a peer with me and we were working on these things together. So helpful. Mm -hmm. Play off of each other, bounce things off. You know, you can learn together. And then that's where that mentoring piece, I think, is so critical. Once we get teachers into the classroom, let's get them properly prepared so that they feel ready for the classroom. And then we're going to get you there as much as we can, and then we're going to help you to be successful and kind of get over that hump of, of you know, figuring out how to get it all done. Yes. I love that you're working on that. That's so fantastic because I'm a, just a big champion of education and teachers, and I just, I really believe in them, and I'm so grateful Absolutely. for what they do. It's essential. I, I love well, teachers. I mean, that that's, a teacher is the, the fundamental part of every other profession. I mean, it's learning. You, you've got to learn in order to do all of the other things. And so, I mean, they're, they're the facilitator of, of everything that we have in society. Mm -hmm. Okay. So at the end of every podcast, I like to do takeaways. I always okay. do two takeaways. And so when I have a guest, when I do it solo, I have to do both of them. But <laughs> I just love it when I have guests because then the guests, I offer the guests to do one. So and then I always I always say like, would you like to go first or do you want me to go first? I would love for you to go first so that I can learn from you. Okay. Um, all right. So my takeaway is that you are you wear a lot of roles, a lot of hats in this role that you play. There's a lot of components to balance or to harmonize really in what you do. And I think as I've been sitting here in this conversation, I have like just, I have felt more gratitude for what you do. And I really felt like I knew a lot of what you did. And my my knowledge has been expanded on what you do and that it's very obvious to me that you have a team and that you're very intentional about working and to be aware of all of the different players within our education. And just the way that Idaho has it set up is unique. I know I didn't mention this part, but something that's interesting to me is that um, the position that you have, there are 12 states that elect a superintendent of public instruction, but 38 of the states actually appoint that position. And so- Good homework, Alexis. <laughs> nice. You get a gold star. Oh, thanks. You get a gold star. <laughs> um, but that it's not just, it, it's not just this organizational component, but it's also a, comp a political component because you're elected and it's something that you want to do and that you're passionate about it. And I look at your background this you're someone who like deeply cares and that is that uh quality i think is something that i try to find in my local leaders and so like my i think my biggest takeaway sorry i'm just doing this circle you don't have to be so big debbie in the, in your takeaway but my biggest takeaway is that it's essential to know what's going on edu in education on our local level because everyone is experiencing something different in Idaho because we're so unique around the state. I love that. And, and, and thank you for 
just summarizing so many pieces and so many layers to this position. And, and, and that's, uh, I, I like that. Yeah. Okay. My takeaway, parents care. And I love it that you care. And I think you're such a great example and, and model of really where, where parents want to be. Not everyone is going to have the, the level of understanding that you do or the time to really dive into some of this. But one thing that every parent has is a love of their kid. And every parent wants their child to have access to all the opportunities. I have never met a parent that doesn't want the very best for their child, the very best teacher in the very best schools with the very best of all of those things. And the reason they want that is because they want their child to be set up for just good things of life. And so, you know, when you share stories of going in and, and visiting with your child's teacher and just the, who you represent, the organization that you represent, I just love the reminder constantly that as parents, we may differ politically or we may differ on, you know, a variety of things that we think are important. But what are those things that we have in common? We care about our kids and we can work together to make them successful. I love that. Thank you so much, Debbie. It's just been so great to have you. And I've loved it. And I hope that- it's so comfortable. And I realized I still had my name tag on from being at the Capitol today. <laughs> so just in case you forgot who I was. Yeah, you know. yeah it'll be, it's, so, it's there for all the people who yes, are watching. I love yes. it. Um, and so I appreciate you taking the time. And I really hope there's so many other things that I really want to talk with you about. So I, I hope Let's that you- Let's do it again. Yes, that's fantastic. And- um. Thank you for all you're doing for kids in Idaho in education. Right back at you. And that's a wrap on today's episode of Our Kids, Our Schools. Your contributions are vital in this shared journey towards a thriving school community. So let's keep this conversation going on my Instagram page at the.alexis.morgan. Share your insights, suggestions, and experiences. Follow the podcast so you never miss empowering discussions and insightful resources. And always remember, keep learning, keep questioning, and together, let's make a difference.